You're listening to the Douglas Jacoby Podcast. Here we bring you some of the material found on Douglas's website in podcast form. We hope that as you listen, you're challenged to think about faith. Today, Douglas continues his series on evidences. Now looking at Jesus, the historical evidence. For more on this episode, follow the link in the show notes to Douglas's website. Now here's today's teaching. Jesus Christ, is there historical evidence that he lived? Or was this simply a legend made up by the church? That was a question that our local teen ministry wanted me to speak on this week. Two nights ago, I met with a group of 40 or 50 teens and teen workers, and we had a simple lesson followed by a great Q&A, and I thought this might make a very good podcast, particular if you have never yourself memorized the evidence for Jesus. It's not complicated. Well, I want to begin, and there are notes that go with this podcast, so you can follow along there if you like. I want to begin just talking about the possibilities. Jesus existed or he didn't. So the first possibility is mythology, that Jesus is a mythical figure he never lived. The second is that he existed, but you can't trust the Bible. The Bible reinvented him. And the third possibility is that Jesus existed and the Bible portrays him accurately. These are the only three possibilities. That's just logic. Well, on the first, interestingly, there's hardly any scholar today who would say that Jesus didn't exist. I'm aware of one professor of German Uh, at the University of London, who held this position. But he's not an historian. He's a professor of German. He's outside his field. And then one of the fellows I debated, who calls himself a Christian atheist, says that Jesus might not have existed, but at any rate, we know virtually zero about him. Uh, The evidence is at the vanishing point. He rejects all the evidence that I'd be sharing in this lesson here. So, mythology of the thousands of biblical scholars and thousands of historians and and other experts, this is not a viable position. Maybe he existed, but the Bible has reinvented him. Or, as I believe, I've come to believe, that the Bible represents him accurately. Let's talk more about the historicity of Jesus. That is, was he an historical figure? If we're going to be skeptical about Jesus Christ, we're going to have to ignore lots of references to him, not only by Christians, but also by non-Christians. Jesus is, of course, talked about in many New Testament documents and in many other Christian sources, but it's not just the 33 Christian sources, there are nine secular sources as well, and we'll talk about those in a few moments. How does this compare with contemporaries? How does this compare with other ancient figures? Is that too much, too little? Well, the emperor at the time that Jesus was crucified is Tiberius. Tiberius was the successor to, to Augustus Caesar, so Tiberius Caesar is mentioned in only 10 sources, 10 literary sources. That's what we're talking about. One of those is the Gospel of Luke. So Tiberius is in nine sources plus one Christian source, Jesus in nine plus 33 Christian sources, and those are sources within a century and a half of their lives. 
And I think that's a fair comparison because Jesus was crucified probably in the year 30. Tiberius died in the year 37. So they were roughly the same age. And within 150 years of their lifetime, Jesus is mentioned in 42 separate sources, Tiberius in just 10. So if you're going to be skeptical about Jesus, you're going to end up being skeptical about all ancient history. Now, you could do that if you want, but that's not the way most scholars work, whether they're atheists or not, whether they're agnostics or or strong Christians. It's simply not the way that people work. In fact, there are a number of historical facts that are accepted by scholars, whether or not they believe in Christ. Jesus walked on water. Okay, that's not an historical fact that you can prove. It cannot be proved by history or science. You might accept it because of the testimony of Jesus' followers, but that's something that's beyond the range of, well, let's say history cannot prove it or disprove it. So by historical facts, I'm talking about things that that uh, scholars who are perhaps Jewish or Muslim or, well, uh, uh, atheists would, would, would agree with. And uh, there are quite a few, but uh, for simplicity, I've, I've boiled it down to seven. One is that Christ was born shortly before 4 BC. And that's because Herod the Great, the puppet king who was attempting to kill him, remember when he ordered the execution of the toddlers in Bethlehem, the, the little boys, probably uh, 20 or so were executed. Jesus had already left Bethlehem, but that was in 4 BC. And that's why most scholars think that Jesus was born around 6 BC. Another fact that's really not controversial at all is that Jesus was from a poor family. In fact, a large and poor family in the tribe of Judah. Now, the church would hardly have uh, made up a story of his poverty if it weren't true, any more than the Jews would have made up the story of their previous enslavement in Egypt if that weren't true. When things are a bit embarrassing, uh, we, we we take it with a, a, a special um, uh, uh, level of of credence. But Jesus's family were not wealthy, and there was a, a way that when you dedicated your child at the temple, if you were not wealthy, you could offer pigeons instead of larger animals, and that's exactly what they did. A third thing that is not controversial is that Jesus remained single. Now, I know that there there's some uh, movie producers and, and authors who these days think that Jesus had a girlfriend or got married, but that's really a pretty modern idea. Jesus remained single, and with good reason, because he was on a collision course with the establishment. He was going to be put to death, but he, he was single. He was skilled in manual labor. And I think this means that he was physically tough. He's always walking uh, the length and breadth of the of the land, and not just in Israel. He even walks to uh, what is modern Lebanon or over uh, towards Syria. And in the lineup, when they were trying to identify him for his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, even though there was a full moon, uh, and you you would be able to see, Judas had to indicate him with a kiss. So uh, I think he just looked like a normal fellow. That's a side point, and but if you want to pursue that, it, it's interesting. There, there's a lot of material on what Jesus probably looked like based on what we know of uh, Jewish dress and uh, beard customs at the time, and and their height from archaeological evidence. You know the skeleton. So he was born shortly before 4 BC. Poor family, single, manual labor. The Bible says he was a tecton, uh, like a, a stonemason or a woodworker, a carpenter. He was critical of established religion, arousing the wrath of the priesthood. 
Uh, not controversial at all. That seems to be why he was delivered. Uh, he, he often quoted from Old Testament prophets who criticized the system. For example, in, when Jesus says that uh, you're a den of thieves, you know, when he, he clears the temple, um, he kicks over the tables of the money changers, he's quoting from Jeremiah 7, verse 11, uh, when Jeremiah himself uh, launched an attack on the temple, preaching to those coming through the gates. He was critical, and he didn't launch the main salvo at the beginning of his ministry. Things built up, and eventually we see that he started working not in Galilee. He had been working in Galilee for a few years, but now he's, he's leaving that behind. He's moving south to Jerusalem, where he will be killed, and he predicts that. He was executed by crucifixion under Pontius Pilate. Pilate, of course, an historical figure. He was uh, on the he was the governor or the prefect of Judea from 26 to 36 A.D. Crucifixion was a grisly a way to go. Normally, a sign only for the worst criminals, for non-citizens, for slaves, or perhaps those who committed high treason. Uh, no one has survived punishment. Well, I shouldn't say that. One person may have survived the punishment of crucifixion. When Josephus, who was involved in the Jewish war, they, the Jews had a war with Rome about four decades after Jesus, and of course they lost. Uh, three of Josephus's friends were crucified, and he, he interceded with the general to have them taken down because they, they liked Josephus. And even though uh, they were taken down very quickly, two of them still died. So I think, and, and the evidence, the testimony that survived is that there's only one survivor of crucifixion in the ancient world, and thousands, actually tens of thousands, were crucified. That's the way Jesus went. Uh, I'm aware, you know, I, I mentioned Muslim scholars. They they don't believe in the crucifixion, uh, but that's not because they have any evidence. It's just that their idea is that uh, uh, if a if a prophet uh, were persecuted or killed, then that would mean he was a failure, and. Seventhly, Christ's first followers believed that he had been raised from the dead. Now, that's an historical fact. They believed he was the Messiah, the anointed one. That's not saying that he was. The historical fact is that his first followers believed that he was. And so scholars would say, yes, they believed he was raised from the dead. Uh, you know, and I do too, or I'm not so sure. But this was definitely being proclaimed. These are things uh, that attest to a real man who was quite a personage, had a great impact, and is remembered historical facts. Uh, you, I could find maybe 12 that everyone would accept. I just boiled them down to seven. Now, let's talk about the actual testimony. We'll look at insider testimony and outsider. Insider testimony among those who are positively disposed and they were actually following Christ. And then what about others? And often I'm asked, well, do you, is there any evidence for Jesus outside the Bible? Or sometimes I'm simply told, well, apart from the Bible, there is no Jesus. You know, it's all, it, you all, it's all in the Bible. Well, it's true. The Bible is the main source, uh, but there are other sources too. Now, the New Testament was written approximately 50 to 100 AD. That's the second half of the first century. And between the ministry of Jesus, which began around 27 AD, and the time the earliest New Testament documents were being written, uh, there were uh, stories of Jesus and records of his words in circulation. 
uh, being circulated orally and, and maybe in written form as well. And so we see that it's not just the New Testament, uh, which is 27 documents, uh, but it's also the, the sources of the New Testament, the things that were incorporated into the New Testament. That may be um, a new idea for you. Let me return to that in just a moment. The New Testament itself uh, is written, uh, half of it anyway, by Luke and Paul. Luke wrote Luke and Acts, which is a quarter of the New Testament in pages, and Paul wrote 13 letters. That's another quarter. So the other half, um, the things that are associated with John especially, and there, there are a few others. But these documents themselves have layers and sources. Bless, it's more blessed to give than to receive. That beatitude is not found in Matthew or Luke. That, that's found in the book of Acts. So this thing was circulating, and Paul knew of it because he refers to it, but it's not mentioned in the Gospels. Or you have the baptismal hymn in Ephesians 5.14. Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, Christ will shine on you. New Testament scholars believe that that's uh, from a hymn that would be sung when men and women were immersed in water. Or you have uh, beautiful hymns like uh, uh, Philippians 2, 5 to 11, about Jesus emptying himself. Probably Paul took over that hymn and put it into Philippians. Uh, Paul himself was not an original apostle. He was baptized probably about two years, maybe one year, maybe three years after Pentecost. And he claims that Jesus spoke to him, and he also confirmed his understanding with the Jerusalem apostles. And he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, that he received, as of first importance, several facts, particularly Jesus's death, according to Scripture, his burial, his resurrection, and the appearances of Jesus, even to skeptics. That Jesus appeared shows that he had come back. So it's not just death, burial, resurrection. It's death, burial, resurrection, and the appearances. And Paul says that he received this. In other words, that piece of teaching was already in, uh, it was already a unit. It was being proclaimed. It was circulating. So that's an example of, of a source uh, that goes uh, deeper than simply the publication level of the New Testament or the publication level of 1 Corinthians in this time. So that's 55 AD. But Paul's referring to something that he heard in the early 30s. So we're getting very close to the time of Christ. It's, it's really too close for all kinds of fancy legends to develop. And at any way, there are numerous aspects of the New Testament that argue against fabrication. Now, remember, we're, we're considering three possibilities here as we look at Jesus, the historical evidence. One is that he didn't exist, the mythological view. There's, there's simply too much testimony to go with that one. So we're left with only two possibilities. He existed, and the Bible has, uh, has distorted his identity or made up things about him. The Bible reinvented him. Or that, no, uh, the Bible is trustworthy. He's portrayed accurately. As we look at insider testimony, I want to talk about some aspects of the New Testament that make it very unlikely that these stories of Jesus and his miracles and his life were just made up. One would be the conversion of certain skeptics, skeptics like James, the brother of Jesus, who is not shown to be favorably disposed 
in Mark 3 and John 7, but he comes round. Imagine how difficult that would be to be, you know, you're, he was the oldest brother after Jesus, and he had three younger brothers. The conversion of skeptics like Saul of Tarsus, who was also emotionally invested in opposing the Jesus movement, even more because uh, he had the authority of the chief priests, and he was a persecutor. But the fact that they came around should really make us think, oh, yeah, they were not exactly uh, disposed to believe already. There's hostile testimony. The fact that his enemies credit him not only with existence, but with several things that are important in the New Testament. We'll return to that in a moment. And then what's called the criterion of embarrassment. Some things in the New Testament are potentially embarrassing. For example, when you have the the apostles arguing about who's the greatest. Now, in the decades following uh, uh, Jesus's ascension, uh, that, that doesn't make them look very good, particularly when that's in the Gospels and everyone's reading it. And, you know, if they were uh, not quite so honest, if they were less scrupulous, they might have taken those uh, incidents out to make them look better. But we're talking about Jesus right now. Let me give you... Um, some examples. Uh, And this is an historical criterion called the criterion of embarrassment. When you're trying to judge whether something is likely or accurate, if it's embarrassing to the figure, uh, then it's more likely to be true, obviously, unless it's slander. But these are things being admitted by insiders. In Mark 13, 32, Jesus predicts the end, the end of Judaism and the temple and It's apocalyptic language. Wow. And he says, uh, frankly, I don't know when that'll be. So as a human, he didn't know. He said, the angels don't know, only the Father. So for Jesus to admit ignorance there uh, is not something that someone would just make up because it doesn't make him look good, if you look at it from a certain perspective. The fact that he was rejected by his own family, that they were slow to be won over, but though... By by the time he had risen from the dead, they were taking part in the prayer meetings, Acts one fourteen, and apparently they all believed in him after that. But the most important criterion of embarrassment is the fact that Jesus was crucified in the first place. Having the Messiah go to the cross was, as Paul puts it, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Greeks. You know, the, the Greeks are are looking for something that appeals to their intellect. The idea that, you know, God would come and then he would be crucified. This is, what is that? That's crazy. And a stumbling block for the Jews because they had seized upon the positive messianic passages. The passages about the Messiah in the Old Testament that made him look victorious and made the Israelites look victorious. And yet the Messiah go to the cross is the opposite so a little bit like the, the Muslims today, the Jews at that time expected the Messiah to be triumphant, and being killed, being rejected, was not part of the plan. And so if the Christians were just making up a religion, uh, they probably would have taken that out, or they certainly wouldn't have invented the crucifixion of Jesus, because that caused a lot of people difficulty. It would have been easier to believe in him without that. Okay, criterion of embarrassment. Now, if you've never heard of that before, uh, I hope that's uh, interesting to you. There are all kinds of reasons why faith is reasonable, is logical. And, you know, it's not just the insider testimony in the New Testament. 
but what's called the church fathers, the patristic writings. These are things that are not in the Bible because they're written long after the Bible. And I'm going to mention First Clement and the letters of Ignatius and, and Polycarp's letter to the Philippians and so forth. And someone might say, well, who took them out of the Bible? Well, they were never in the Bible. They're written much, much later. Well, you know, were they suppressed? No, they weren't suppressed. They were widely read. Oh, so they're scripture. No, they weren't scripture. And as an example, if you go into a Christian bookstore, you'll see books mainly published in the 20th and 21st centuries. If someone came in complaining, hey, who took these out of the Bible? You would rightly say, well, no one. They were never in. They refer to the Bible, but they were written later. So it is with uh, the writings I'm about to refer to. The patristic writings. Even in the first century, uh, around 96 AD, a man in Rome named Clement, a respected leader, perhaps an elder, wrote to the Corinthians. And it's kind of a replay of the kinds of issues they had 40 years earlier. That letter has survived. Ignatius, about 10 or 11 years later, he's a leader in Antioch and in Syria, and he's uh, being escorted by the soldiers, Roman soldiers, to execution in Rome. And along the way, he writes seven letters. They're short, they're punchy, very insightful. There's Polycarp. Uh, Polycarp, who uh, died in the mid-second uh, century, around 155, uh, who was connected with the uh, Apostle John, who remembered as a youth sitting at John's feet. And we have the account of his martyrdom, the martyrdom of Polycarp. Uh, Polycarp means very fruitful. It's a cool name. And also his letter to the Philippians. Justin Martyr. Justin was a Samaritan philosopher. He died, or he was executed, like Polycarp. He was executed 10 years later, 165 AD. And Justin Martyr wrote a defense of the faith. And the Greek word is apologia, or apology in English. And Justin's first apology is amazingly colorful and gives all kinds of insight about the Christian movement and about this period, uh, you know, the decades following the apostles. In fact, there are thousands of pages that have written, copies of them have survived from the early church period. That is for the first 300 years. Now, after that, it's a little trickier because uh, the church is moving farther and farther away from its apostolic center. And, and sadly, after the fourth century, well, my, my judgment is that the majority of, of church people weren't following Christ. And probably their leaders weren't either. But it was relatively pure up until the early fourth century. And did you know you could virtually reconstruct the entire New Testament if you just took quotations in these early sources? The quotations, say, in Clement or Ignatius or Irenaeus or Tertullian or all these fellows I've not even mentioned. So this is insider testimony, which confirms the gospel. It shows that although the movement was small initially, still there were many people in many cultures who followed who had become convinced. What about the outsider testimony? Well, we had the testimony of Josephus, a Jewish statesman who uh, was involved in, in the Jewish war. He is our best source for what happened uh, among the Jews in, in the, um, that ancient period, you know, of a couple thousand years ago. He's, many of his documents have survived. And two passages refer to 
Jesus. One refers to the brother of Jesus who was stoned to death in 62 AD. And the other passage refers to Jesus, who was a teacher of surprising things, who won many people, and whose movement was still going strong um, in his day. But Josephus, see, he's not a Christian. He's an outsider because he was Jewish. Uh, There was a Syrian, uh, actually a Stoic. His name was Mara, Mara Barsarapion. His letter is normally dated to the year 73. That is the end of the Jewish war. And he's in a Roman prison. And in that prison, he writes a letter to his son. And so that's the document and mentions Jesus there. He asks, well, what did the Greeks gain from making Socrates drink the poison? Or you know, how did the Jews benefit by crucifying their wise king? I mean, look what happened to them. You know, the Romans came and they lost their kingdom and look where they are now. And so he's not a Christian, but he mentions Jesus and the crucifixion and and even the, the close proximity of the rejection of Christ and then the d- destruction of Jerusalem. There was another first century writer named Thallus, who in the year 52 or so commented upon the darkness at the time of Jesus's death. Another person named Phlegon, who was writing... Uh, eh, probably the early second century, also refers to the crucifixion, the darkness, and the earthquake at the time of the crucifixion. I think they're both a little bit confused, though, because they seem to think uh, there might have been an eclipse. But when the moon is full, you, you can't have a solar eclipse. Uh, it, it's the new moon that, that would that would block out the sun. But if you had, I mean, just imagine the moon in front of the sun uh, being bright. No, the eclipse is dark. So, they were clearly wrong. But still, they refer to something that happened at the time of the crucifixion. So it's of some value. Suetonius was a Roman writer, um, and he's writing around 100 or a bit after, who mentions the riots. There were riots in Rome, riots in the time of Claudius, the emperor, in the 40s, at the instigation, they, they thought, of Christus. Well, that's probably referring to Christ. It's a garbled uh, rumor, but apparently the Christians who followed Christ uh, were involved in some kind of trouble. Uh, much more important is the record of the historian Tacitus. And Tacitus died in 120. He refers to that terrible persecution in the summer of 64, when a fire got out of hand, destroyed well, like two-thirds of Rome, And the public suspected Nero was the one behind it because the emperor Nero uh, was building his golden house and needed more space. And whether or not Nero did it, looks like he did, he needed a scapegoat. Well, hadn't the Christians said that there'll be a judgment day and the world will be destroyed by fire? And so he blamed it on the Christians and they they were strapped to stakes to become garden torches in the imperial gardens. They were wrapped in skins and thrown to the dogs to be eaten. It was a terrible persecution, but it was short-lived, July 64. Pliny the Younger, early second century. He's a governor in part of what would be today Turkey, and he's asking the emperor, what do I do about the Christians? There are lots of them, and people are ratting them out. And I think probably reading between the lines, some pagans wanted him to mount a, a campaign to, uh, you know, to root out all Christians himself. And he doesn't think that's necessarily the wisest thing to do. And so he asks the emperor, should I 
kill them if they're reported as Christians and then they refuse to recant. Actually, it wasn't so much recanting. It was just, you know, saying Caesar's Lord, making a little sacrifice to the Roman emperor. So at that time, they believed it was very reasonable to execute someone who refused to obey the government in such a matter. So should I search them out? He asked the emperor. The emperor Trajan says, no, no, don't do that. It'll take forever. And, you know, we're not going to follow up every rumor. Uh, it, it's got to be uh, no anonymous rumors, and and you'll know how to proceed. It's a, it's a great source because he gives us insight into the Romans' attitude towards persecuting Christians. It shows us that uh, some people in leadership in the church were actually servants, and even tells us something about when those Christians met, uh, like early on Sunday before sunrise and later, because Sunday was a work day. Well, I've mentioned all these people outside our testimony. Josephus, Jewish. Uh, Mara is a Stoic, Stoic philosopher. Thallus and Phlegon, Suetonius, Tacitus, Pliny the Younger, pagans. Another pagan is Lucian. And Lucian, in, in the later second century, um, he, he makes fun of the Christians for believing what they believe, but he admits, yeah, he calls Jesus a wise man, and he agrees that he was crucified in Palestine. And Celsus, uh, also in the second century, ridicules Christianity. He says it's a stupid religion, and people who follow it are fools themselves. And I could add more. Uh, I'm, I'm really looking at the first 200 years. But right after that, uh, we're in the period when the Talmud is coming together, the Jewish writings. Um, you have the Mishnah by 200, and the Talmud up to about 500. And the Talmud seems to refer to Jesus. Uh, to his trial and crucifixion and the execution of some of his followers. And it says that he did, he was charged with sorcery. And I think this is probably referring to him because in the New Testament, uh, people are not denying that he drove out demons or did miracles. His enemies aren't denying that, but they're saying he's doing it you know, through some dark power. You know, uh, uh, the devil is, is assisting him, charged with sorcery. So what do you think now? <laughs> the idea that we would never know if there was a Jesus apart from apart from the New Testament? We, we just looked at uh, nine sources. I wish I had time to read them. It would have made this a very long podcast. But we looked at nine sources that, that refer to, to Christ. And uh, if you didn't know that, I, I would learn those. Because even if there were no New Testament, we would still know that something phenomenal was going on. Well, it's time to wrap up. We looked at uh, the possibilities of myth. We quickly rejected that. And as you've seen as throughout the podcast, we reject that because Jesus is rooted in history. Christianity is rooted in history. The biblical story is anchored in space and time. That's why history and geography are important. That's why it's not just ideas and inspiration and theory. No, no. Christianity is a concrete religion. We're in this world we're preparing for the next world, but we're in this world too. It's not mythology. Oh, there's lots of symbolism. You don't take everything literally, but there's an historical kernel, uh, and Jesus is rooted there, and uh, there's no doubt in my mind that Jesus um, was a real person and that the Bible has uh, bent over backwards to portray him fairly and accurately. He's not a myth. Was he just a good teacher? With so many people today say, okay, I don't believe in him. I think he was a good teacher, but well, no, <laughs> because when you ask people, oh, so you believe he's a good teacher, so you agree with his teachings, yeah. okay, so you believe you shouldn't get drunk, 
and slander your parents and, and no sex before marriage. And then people say, oh, no, I don't agree with that. Oh, I see. So he's a good teacher. You just don't agree with his that his uh, good morals are actually good. The people are much happier slapping a compliment on Jesus, good teacher, but they're not really thinking clearly about him. Besides, he claimed divinity. His earliest followers claimed he was divine. In fact, they equated him with the Lord, the Lord of the Hebrew Scriptures. And unless he really were divine, he would have been dishonest if he claimed to be God. And that would not make him a good teacher if he's a liar. Some in our world would say he's the same as other religious founders. And yet that's not true at all. I'll give you some quick examples. Confucius, think of Confucianism, 500 years before Jesus. He's a civil servant. He made shrewd observations. He was a sage, maybe a philosopher a little bit, but more, more a sage, not a religious leader. Nothing really like Jesus. The Buddha, well, the Buddha didn't even believe in God. He was agnostic or perhaps atheist. He didn't believe that there was any individual existence. Ultimately, there'll be no relationships. Certainly, uh, God is not love, and there will be no love because there'll be no individuals. It's all an illusion. Um, Is that like Jesus? Not at all. Muhammad, 600 years after Jesus, he didn't claim to be God. He didn't do miracles, at least if you read the Quran, he didn't. And uh, in, in, in Jesus claiming to be uh, divine, he was committing the worst possible sin in Islam. You know, that, that God has a son, that God came down to us. And so we see Jesus was neither myth nor fabrication. The possibility that makes the most sense to me, and I trust it makes sense to you too, is that he existed and that his remarkable life was fairly and accurately portrayed in the Bible. We hope you enjoyed Douglas's series on evidences. For additional notes and resources, be sure to check out Douglas's website in the show notes. The website has hundreds of articles, podcasts, and videos for you to access for free. You can also become a premium subscriber and gain access to thousands of online resources from Douglas's teaching ministry. Thanks again for listening.